Thanks for tuning in for Gospel Solutions for Families on the Mormon Channel. This show is all about offering practical, relevant tips for raising children in faith. I'm your host, Amy Iverson. Marriage and children can often be two of the greatest joys in our lives, but sometimes we have a hard time finding time for both and end up putting our marriage on the back burner as we spend those precious years caring for our children. President Russell M. Nelson, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, has said, Marriage brings greater possibilities for happiness than does any other human relationship. Yet, some married couples fall short of their full potential. They let their romance become rusty, take each other for granted, allow other interests or clouds of neglect to obscure the vision of what their marriage really could be. Marriages would be happier if nurtured more carefully. My guests today are brother David C. Marriott and sister Neil F. Marriott, who have been married 45 years and are the parents of 11 children and 34 grandchildren. Sister Marriott served with her husband as he presided over the Brazil Sao Paulo Interlagos Mission and is now second counselor in the Young Women General Presidency. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. They're joining us today to talk about the importance of putting marriage before parenting. This is a hard one because I think sometimes after a couple brings children into their family, then it's easy to let your focus on your marriage kind of slip. And Sister Mary, you said something I liked, that we actually have to fight for our marriage, fight for time with our spouse when that happens. What do you mean by that? That is so true. When you've got one or lots of little kids demanding your attention, you do. It's. It is. I hate the word fight, but it, it, it <laughs> is like, like it. It's like a struggle. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to stop and think. Yes, you need attention, but there's someone who comes first in my life, and I need to give him attention too. So, it takes some intentional awareness of of um, putting your spouse first because the children will just eat up your time if you let them. And I liked that you mentioned it's not necessarily choosing one or the other, but by strengthening your marriage, you build a foundation. That's true. I I had that experience in my family. My parents were very close to one another and really supported each other. And while it seemed that maybe from the outside, it seemed like they paid more attention to each other than to the seven of us, what it did was it laid this solid foundation of confidence because my world was secure, because they were the core of the family. And if they were unified, then things were going to be solid and trustworthy and okay for me. And your children can stand on that foundation you're building. Mm -hmm. Brother Mary, you kind of mentioned this, that um, your kids might even be a little jealous or they might think, do you love us? Why do you keep going off on these dates together? (laughs) That can be an issue, right? (laughs) You know, we had, we grew up in a, a time where we didn't exactly have examples to follow. And so we had to listen to the prophets and say what they had wanted us to do and then pattern our life after the principles. And so we had to be intentional about what we did. And where we didn't know, we took advice and counsel. For instance, um, we had to decide intentionally to have time together. And um, with so many kids, we decided we were going to have a date. And why were we going to have a date? Because I was given advice when we were married 
that the way you enrich your marriage is to do the same things you did when you were dating, which meant we need to date. <laughs> and we had to set, a time, set aside time to date. Well, that didn't go well with the kids. They thought we were leaving them stranded. <laughs> and we had to say, we love you, but we love each other more, and this is more important. And I think we've grown to realize that that pattern has given our children more uh, confidence in being married. For example, seeing us yeah, together. I, we, just recently, one of my daughters who has five children said that, uh, they have dinner together, and the kids talk and carry on. But when the t- kids excuse themselves from the table, then she and her husband sit and visit. And if the children come back in and want to interrupt, one of them will say, no, nope, you had your time at the table with us. Now mom and I are going to talk alone so you can be excused. So it, it kind of sets a pattern of she's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, And as for dating, you know, a date doesn't have to be out to a dinner and a movie. It, it can, can be that time alone at the dinner table. It can table, be that time yeah. alone at the dinner table or a walk or just going in the backyard and sitting on the swing and talking. You know, it's just it's just saying this is our time, and so we treasure it and we need it. So you're going to have to step aside for a minute. And sometimes that's just locking the door and staying in our bedroom uh-huh. yeah. to have a, the a conversation. Are, yes, knocking on the door and <laughs> looking under attention. the crack. <laughs> now, is that kind of what you were talking about when you said that it's important for parents to testify of marriage to their children? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing you can mm-hmm. do that by actions or with your mm-hmm. words. Uh, um, well, that that kind of testifying can come in all sorts of forms. It could be it can be the children hearing me pray for David. It can be David uh, telling the children, your mother's the most important thing I have. It can be talking about marriage itself. I know on Mother's Day, I would take my daughters aside and testify of them of the holy calling of being a mother. David spoke to the, to the sons about the role of a father. Those things are important, but it also elevates the mother and the father as a unit together. So I feel like they need to hear from that. I remember one time my father, we were sitting at the dining room table. I was a teenage girl, and he, give me your hand, David. He, <laughs> they were sitting, it was dinner time, and he picked up mother's hand and said, look at her hand. Now, by then, she had had seven children. She was in her 50s, and it wasn't a beautifully manicured hand. In fact, it was worn. And he said, notice how worn it is. He said, that is beauty. I honor your mother for the work she does for me and for you. And I've never forgotten that moment. He was he was showing as well as testifying that she was precious to him and she was precious to all of us. And it just, just helped me. Another thing about my, my mother and father, we would always watch the hit parade. This really dates me because this was back <laughs> in the 50s. But uh, on Sunday night, there was this show that had the top ten songs of the week. And we'd be watching it, you know, trying to guess which number two was and all that. And if a waltz came on, Daddy would jump up off the couch and swoop Mother up, and they would waltz around the room. And just that that togetherness, that happiness said, you mean the world to me. And they didn't have to say anything. We saw it. We saw it. And, and it meant she's my, she's my companion. She's most important. We're a team. 
Brother Merritt, how important, too, do you think things like your children seeing you pray together, just being involved in the gospel together, reading scriptures together, is that an intentional part of It is an intentional part, and it really is for us. And they need to see us studying together. And they need to, sometimes they will come in and we're kneeling together in prayer. That gives them a sense of confidence and love. I think, I think um, we don't get to share everything that we do with our children, but we intentionally do a kind of uh, positive affirmation every night before we go to bed where we tell each other one thing that we have done during the day and how it has made us feel. And and uh, it has to be positive. Ending the day on a positive uh, note. Ending yeah. a day. And we mm-hmm. do that, and then we pray together. And frankly, you sometimes have to work things out together before you can pray together and to get to the point where you can say something positive. But boy, that is such a wonderful thing and a precious and sacred time for us, which we would never give up. Because now, it's a pattern, and and I think our children see that, see us doing that, and they uh, do the same kind of thing. I have to ask. Um, I know you are a big planner, as am I, but I only have three children. You raised eleven children, and I have to admit, after family prayer and scripture study. You're supposed to do personal prayer and scripture study, and then you're doing couple prayer and scripture study. I mean, sometimes you're just, you feel worn out. How did you make that happen? Well, uh, this is true confession here. When the children were little, and most of them didn't read, uh, actually, David was the one that said after, oh, I don't know, we've been married about six years, he said, we need to start reading with the children. And I thought, well, they don't read, maybe one. But he put a big Book of Mormon on the Lazy Susan uh, on our table, well, actually, before that, on our little table, and every morning at breakfast, we he would open that Book of Mormon and read something. And when I say something, I mean three verses. Right. That's all we could and get. Spread it out. Yeah. Throughout the day. And it took us seven years to go through the Book of Mormon one time with the children, but it, it picked up speed after that. But it was the routine. It was just the commitment. This is something we're going to do, and so it it just was. It became part of Happen. the fabric of, of our life. Yeah. So, and I think most of our children, if not all, do the same thing. It's morning prayers and morning scriptures. And it's, it's short, but it's consistent. Brother Mary, you mentioned when you got married and your sealer told you to date your wife, basically. I think that, um, again, 11 children were all like bowing down to you. <laughs> but even with three children or however many children you have, I, I feel like sometimes parents take every effort and they plan it to make it to every baseball game, every dance recital, everything their kid is doing. But they don't map out the time to date their spouse. So how can what tip do you have for parents to make that a priority when sometimes it might be at the expense of making it to the baseball game. I think sometimes we're over-programmed as families, and we have to make decisions of cutting out some of those things so that we have family time together. Same with marriage. We have to program those things which allow us the time together. And so we will go through a month and we'll say, okay, what days are we going to go out or go to the temple together? 
and then we tell the kids. And we try to do that during family they, council, the calendar. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but we make it very intentionally, and um, it's a relief for us actually to to have that plan and to know and look forward to it so that we can be together. And the kids understand. They will complain, but they <laughs> understand, and actually they honor us when they see us doing that. I think every kid has those memories of watching their parents go out, or we hope they do. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. I definitely do, so mm -hmm. to make that our priority. And you say that children absorb that. They absorb kind of that feeling of, of you putting your spouse first. I think they do. I, I mean... I think our children, you, you, I've heard this, and I'm sure you have too, that they're our best investigators. They are the ones that are watching and noticing and, and are sensitive to the feelings in the home, just the, the general climate in the home. But I know, I remember a time when we were on the beach, and David and I were walking down the beach, and generally he holds my hand when we walk. We just like to hold hands. But we weren't that day for whatever reason. We were just walking along, kicking sand, and we walked away, and we came back to where the family was. And our oldest son said, so, hey, y'all aren't holding hands anymore? <laughs> he had noticed that we weren't holding hands because for years, I guess he had seen that we had, and that ha day we happened not to be. But it's important to them. I think touch is important. David would always kiss me goodbye when he left for work in the morning. And children were all around our knees and going out the door and everything. And he would always come and find me when he got home from work and kiss me hello. And the children would stop. And I can remember this sometimes when we'd already be at the dinner table. He would be late for dinner. He'd come in the door. He'd come right over and kiss me. And there would be this instant silence at the table for just a second while they watched mm -hmm. Daddy kiss Mom. And then everything started up again. And it was just, just a little tiny moment, which many times I didn't even think of. I mean, it didn't. It was just so perfunctory. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But it was just part of the routine. <laughs> uh -huh. But they were watching because it, I think it said something to them. They love each other. They actually are happy together. And um, that, that, that sends a huge message. That so let's talk about what this looks like in real life. So uh, let's start with those little children running around journeys. I think that that often is a time of life when we don't have the means to go out to the opera every night or whatever. So um, you talked a little bit about this, but what were some of the things you guys did when your children were small to make that time for one another? We had to get rid of them somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we I mean, because maybe you can't even afford to pay to for the grand, babysitter. Grandparents yeah. and just take off. And we'd say goodbye. We're going to take this time. And we couldn't afford it, and the grandparents could help. Nowadays, our children give a share give their with kids their. To you. They, they give them to us, or they give them to their brothers and sisters so that they can have time alone too. So it's a, you know, you use the resources that you have. Um, so, sometimes we would uh, go together as a family, but we would have time for us to just take off and walk and kind of take share. what you can get. We sometimes. also did something that uh, that when we really had to optimize our time, we we kept a journal. He had a journal, and I had a journal, and we would actually choose a topic to talk on. It could be something as simple as um, how, how did I feel when um, 
the kids all woke up early one morning and surprised us with breakfast. It could be something simple, or it could be, how did I feel when uh, it rained last night and, you know, the garden got washed out. I'm just trying to think of mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the topic was. But we would both write a couple of paragraphs sometime during the day. Maybe he at lunch, maybe me my, when I, the kids were sleeping, whatever. And then that night when things quieted down, almost like a date, we would exchange journals. And we would just read what the other one's feelings were, and then we would talk about it. So it gave us a jumping off spot. But it was, and it, we didn't do it for years and years, but for off and on for probably five or six years during those really times when time was tight, we would be thinking about each other during the day and then could share later at night. So that would only, the exchange would only take five to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. But it was very important for us to understand feelings. Mm -hmm. And so we would write our feelings, not our thoughts. There's difference between thoughts and feelings. Well, it's just so much deeper than how was your day, fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if we wrote on a topic that both of us had to ponder about and and express our feelings. Then when we got together for five or ten minutes, it was uh, significant in that we already had written down our thoughts. And she could read them, and she says, I understand from what you're saying. Is this what you were feeling? Is this right? Mm-hmm. And I would do the same with her. And yeah, that what a treasure. It is a treasure. And those are sacred books now. I bet. There's so. another thing I, I'm thinking of. David has, he loves to go to the football game, and he has season tickets to one of the university games. And um, he, the, all of our boys want to go with him, and always did from you know the time they were seven or eight. But he would always defer to me. No, these are these are for mom and me. And if mom doesn't want to go this time, <laughs> then I'll take one of you. But I always came first. And that just kind of set me up because they thought if she is the most important one to get the ticket, she must be important. <laughs> so, but you know, he he put me first. He, he just did. Well, and I love this idea you had. And I did something similar for Christmas this year. But when your kids get a little older, you might have a little more free time. But still, that planning that you always put into making sure you had time together and. Um, and, and, again, not having to go out on a big date, but you gave him a calendar one oh, year yeah. <laughs> for just Christmas. to set aside time together. Talk That's about right. that. Well, instead of a, a expensive gift, I, I got a calendar for that year, and I designated one Friday or Saturday night a month for the entire year, so 12 dates. And I already had a plan for each one, what what it would be, you know. And they weren't all extravagant? Uh, not at yeah. all, no. It, it could have been just um, drive out in the country or up in the canyon, um, you know, find a wildflower there or something. And then the next one might be dinner at home, your favorite food, just the two of us, children all gone, you know, that kind of thing. And so when he opened it up, uh, he was looking through, and I would say, you know, tonight it's hamburgers at your favorite joint or something. And while he was reading, I looked up, and our two sons who, um, well, let's see, I don't know how old they were. Anyway, they were home, so they weren't married. They looked at each other across. We were all sitting in kind of a circle on the floor around the tree, and, and David was going through saying, okay, so in July we're going to do this. <laughs> oh, this is what we're doing in November, you know, and it just enjoyed it, and I looked over, and Daniel and Cannon were looking across at each other, going, <laughs> "Like pretty cool." That is. So it was just a. But the good thing about it was that I had my input too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he could choose. It wasn't just her doing it yeah. because I could decide what things I wanted to do too. Mm-hmm. But oh. it was a framework that that really was 
positive mm-hmm. for us both. I love that idea. And and again, I'm just going to keep saying your phrase of intentional mar- intentional is, marriage because you have to you have to make it a priority. You know, mm-hmm. you know I th- I think about my own parents and I'm not sure that they did things intentionally. They just kind of let things flow. And um, I think when we just let things flow, we miss out on so many wonderful things that we can do together. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about later in life. Um, when your children have left and you are empty nesters. I know sometimes for some couples that can be the hardest time because you maybe had another focus when the children were there and now it's just you two. Mm -hmm. And maybe the spark isn't quite as strong as it used to be. What have you guys found to make your time now together intentional and... Well, you know, without this, this just, I just thought of this. In fact, I'm thinking of two things right now. One has to do with a single parent and then uh, parents without children. But as the children began to leave and their needs were no longer things we had to answer, we we had more time to serve in the Mm -hmm. church. And and that's what happened. The the gospel began to, to ask of us more and more time and attention. But in doing that, blessings were sweet in the home, despite the fact there were no children to kneel with at night or whatever to hear their their interests. We we could really concentrate on how our spiritual growth was coming along, and it was it's a sweeter it's it's sweet. I mean it's it's personal. It's more personal where we talk about what this scripture means to us or how we could change this or you know counsel one another about how we could grow more spiritually. And you know single single parents are heroes in every way. But if there has been a divorce or there their feelings there, if that single parent with the children in the home can still keep the climate sweet, can and can forgive and wash away, sweep out whatever bitter feelings are there because the children will absorb those as well. And a person can do that with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with all the blessings of the gospel, even if they're alone. And I know it's not ideal, and it's it's easy for me to say we're happily married and didn't have to go through that divorce situation, but the gospel still works. And, and there can still be a climate of kindness, forgiveness, and spiritual growth in a home Despite uh, perhaps a, a difficult divorce, the children will still be absorbing what that single parent is is living. So they still have that opportunity to to gain strength, spiritual strength through the sacrament, through the scriptures, and live the gospel. And the gospel will nurture that home. And we talked about that a little bit earlier about how people who aren't in a um, marriage can still support the idea of the importance of marriage. And you mentioned one idea might be to to use other people's marriage as an example, but this should not be something you avoid talking about with your children, that you still stress the importance of marriage. I think we look to other marriages all the time. And uh, I remember... Before my mission, I had certain ideals. When I got back, the couples we were looking at were completely different because I could understand more those who had deep marriages and things to preserve and gave us the opportunity. I think right now, later in our lives, we have to do more planning (laughs) (laughs) in order to have time together and uh, to give adequate time to our children, but also to let them know that we are still 
important to each other first. Yeah. And so, you know, that takes a lot of a lot of timing, a lot of planning so that we can attend a certain soccer game or a certain performance and yet be with ourselves mm-hmm. and set an example for them mm-hmm. so that they can have that same kind of oneness in their marriage mm-hmm. themselves. Throughout your marriage, how much have you relied on and how important has it been to listen to the Spirit, to have um, a Heavenly Father be part of your marriage? Mm-hmm. How has that contributed to the success of your marriage? Oh, immensely. You know, that's um, really what is our source of strength and love? It's Heavenly Father through the Spirit, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. On our own, we are um, we're like the people of Limha who go out to battle and get crushed three times and are finally just a broken people because they had no covenants. But um, we can be like the people of Alma who did covenant. And, and although the burdens came just like they would to any marriage, and though they were surrounded by Lamanites in danger, they uh, were able to hear the whispering of the Holy Ghost say, their danger is coming, get out. And then have the burdens, they still remain on their, on their shoulders, but have the strength grow to carry those burdens with ease. So, you know, it, were it not for the covenants and the ordinances that we have and we participate in and the continual guidance and help through the Spirit, we would be on our own and would probably be quite miserable because on my own, I, I think I would be miserable. But that's not the, the Father's plan. The Father's plan is to strengthen and nourish and and um, keep families together. That's He wants us back as families, and he's going to do everything we we can possibly accept from him to keep us together. And so we, we need to go to him. Yeah, I, I remember having differences, being I angry, so. mm-hmm. and taking a walk. <laughs> and because Heavenly Father is so much a part of how I feel and how we feel, and so much a part of our marriage, I remember many times having a list, 10 things that she needed to take care of. <laughs> Was that <laughs> <And> 10? <laughs> just at least, let's say. And so I would go on a walk, and I'd have a conversation with Heavenly Father, and I'd go over every point. And you know, at the end of the time, talking to Heavenly Father, the list got smaller and smaller and disappeared. And and something changed within me so that I no longer had animosity but could give him love. So I feel like Heavenly Father's a part of my being able to overcome the challenges that are there. He loves me and he wants me to love her. And if 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 I have something that's bothering me, I take it to him first and then allow him to nurture me. And I usually end up not not bringing up anything because he wants me to love her and I love her. And I'm, <laughs> I'm so lucky. grateful <laughs> for that. Softens your heart. Yeah. You made me think of, of this question. You two were on the same page a lot of times. You two both sought to have Heavenly Father be part of your relationship. 
there are no doubt people listening who has a spouse who that isn't their priority, who isn't making marriage their priority. Great if you both are. But if it's just one of you, what words of encouragement do you have to those people who feel like they're the only one or truthfully maybe the only one putting their marriage first? Um, well, first of all, that person is not alone. Heavenly Father is well aware of her or his uh, needs and perhaps uh, struggles to have a unity in a marriage where one believes in the gospel or, or one doesn't have whatever the situation is. But if uh, if they will just do what they promise to do every Sunday when they covenant, which brings down powers from the ordinance, to always remember the Savior. That alone, I know it sounds like a simple answer, but that is full of power. In in the heat of a hurt feeling or a situation, if if we have the the presence of mind and the faith to think on Jesus Christ, just point toward Him and settle in. Remember that He is there for us. That He has already paid for this pain we're feeling in our heart. That He understands. He gives us strength. He gives us hope, and he fills in those bruised spots and those holes in our heart that we've all felt. There comes, a, and it may not come like that. It may take weeks or months, but as we nourish that through just the normal things, trying to do our best, trying to see the positive, and getting involved in gospel situations, uh, serving, um, singing hymns, the simple answers, they, they work. They work. They work. But really, at the crux of it all is is the Savior. His his love, his mercy, his strength, his knowledge. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is uh, Moroni 748 that talks, gives some keys to loving someone who seems unlovable. And that is, first, you have to pray with all energy of heart. No casual prayer here. It is a prayer with everything you've got. And you are following the Savior. Those are two things that are required. And then the scripture says that the Father will bestow his love upon you. Well, yeah, we have to remember that he loves that unlovable person. And so I have found that it helps me to ask Heavenly Father to bestow some, a portion of his love for that person on me so I can love that person too. And it works. It doesn't mean that I'm not speaking now of David, but in, in prayers with some other situations, I have felt my heart, heart just melt because I know Heavenly Father loves that person, even though I perhaps don't even feel like I even like that person. I know he does. And if I truly want to pray and say, help me love this person, will you give me a bit of your love, just a portion, so I can love that person too? Heavenly Father is pleased. He will help us love other people who are not lovable, and it not we're not requiring them to change in any way. We're just requiring our heart to change. And then it, we, we really come in league with God, and he gives us the power to look past all of the troubles or all of the, well, all of the unlovable things. Because, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that everything's perfect. It just means that our heart now has the Father's love in it. So life is better, and it's not so hard. I think... I think we can go to Heavenly Father and express our dreams. And even though we may not have them right now, I believe if we are faithful 
in the long run, it will happen. And the reassurance that Heavenly Father gives, even with a spouse that is not going that direction, I believe miracles can happen. And that hope that Heavenly Father gives really gives us a sense of confidence where we didn't have it and a reassurance that, according to your talk, it will all work out. That's one of our <laughs> our themes of our marriage. It will all work out. And Heavenly Father is part of that and will bestow our dreams upon us. And I, I just think we need to trust in Him, and He will give us strength, even when it doesn't look like it can happen. Okay, we're talking about putting marriage before family, before parenting. <laughs> that's all part of our family. So as we wrap up here, just any final tips? That's what we're trying to give to parents out there who are struggling with this right now. What can we do? We'll start with you, Brother. I think we have to have ways of communicating amidst the roar. Like, for instance, many years I sat up on the stand and she's down there with all of her kids and we had certain <laughs> certain ways to say I love you. I still do that on the stand. <laughs> and sometimes she would send one of the belligerent kids up to sit with me on the stand. Okay. And that was a way of us communicating and for me to say, I understand what you're going through. Let me carry some of that burden, even though you're supposed to be up there and <laughs> dignified. But no, you you have an obligation to one another. And so little ways to tell your wife you love her or whatever little <laughs> contacts amid the roar, amid all the confusion. Okay, thank you. Sister Marriott, how do we put our marriage before parenting? Hmm. Um, well, you know, Heavenly Father said, if you're not one, you're not mine. And, um, well, marriage is a gift. <clears throat> it's a gift to um, to make us as individuals less selfish. And, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a trial, isn't it? <laughs> really? It can be. To be... Uh, to be selfless, and so we, we need to acknowledge, you know, marriage is is a uh, is a is this divine opportunity, and it's righteous, and with it comes a struggle. It, it's the struggle to put the other person ahead of ourselves, and um, so if we take it like that, if we can do that, if I can put David's feelings and needs ahead of mine, that is going to bless children anyway. But if I put children's needs ahead of his, suddenly the whole core of the family begins to lose its its strength because then the children are are, are pulling us as it were apart. So um, I think that if I I wish I had some perfect little tips to tell, but if we see marriage as a spiritual journey, as as a divine opportunity that is filled with help from the Spirit, because Heavenly Father knows it's hard to be selfless. And yet, uh, it's our opportunity to to learn to love someone more than we love ourselves. To learn to to give when we really want to take, and and it becomes actually a joy. It becomes a teamwork effect, and we 
we rejoice in each other's growth and um it just we become knitted together and we become more one as we uh, make an effort and it's everyone's effort will be a little bit individual but the spirit will guide us to know what is needed and then blessings will flow you know what what great thing would come out of this little small thing you know how the scriptures say out of of small means proceeds that which is great what if each spouse said what is one thing i can do today that will add a little bit of joy to my spouse's my husband my wife's day just just the smallest thing and if we i mean can we do a little tiny bit better each day not a big thing a smile when they walk in the door from work or uh, noticing that his glass of water is empty and filling it. Just every day, just imagine the mountain of love that would grow from one tiny thought about the other person. What would make her happy for a moment today? A phone call, a little note. You know, I just think that can become a, a real... A real joy. I, I did this one time with David in Houston. Actually, we we were living two different lives. There was no anger or rancor between us. But he was at work with a new job that required every ounce of his thought and energy. And I had just had our fifth baby, and the oldest was seven. Mm. And so we were in these two circles doing our best to stay alive. And I decided I was going to write him a letter every week for the length of the alphabet, 26 straight letters, and each each letter would start with one of the letters out, but A, and I would tell him something I admired about him. B, I would tell him something about him that I admired. And I, I started off, first work letter, uh, first one was A, and I talked about these are going to be 26 letters of admire. The next week I talked about one characteristic that I admired. Well, by the time I got to about H, I was totally in love again with yeah, David. I bet. He hadn't changed one thing, <laughs> but I, I spent I spent the first three days of the week thinking, now what am I going to do about the letter K? <laughs> and I would come up with something every single week that was a new characteristic that I'd re- recognized in him. Well, by the time I got to about, oh, I don't know, wasn't quite through, maybe Q or P or something, he turned to me one day and he said to me, "Are you the same person?" Mm-hmm. And I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time. I wasn't. I was all over in love again because I was thinking of one characteristic about my husband that I admired and, and, and writing him a letter and sending it to his, with a stamp, the old way, <laughs> to his office. It, it, it changed my heart because I began to see the prince of a guy he really was. And with today's technology, you could do a text you could so text, easy you every could day. You text every day. <laughs> Thank you for but, that example. Thank you both for being here today. Our thanks to you, the second counselor in the Young Women General Presidency, Sister Neil F. Marriott, and her husband of 45 years, Brother David C. Marriott. They raised 11 children and have shared some helpful advice today on the importance of putting marriage before parenting. Thank you all for watching. We hope you'll join us next time. Gospel Solutions for Families on the Mormon Channel. Subscribe to the podcast on mormonchannel.org, the Mormon Channel app, or on iTunes.